Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, where we talk about a mainstream movie and a cult movie that both have a similar theme, and we dissect them both. Uh, or we do a special episode like this one which is binge-worthy and binge-worthless. We talk about series that we have recently binge-watched and uh, ones that everybody loved, that we didn't like, what we recommend, what our take is, that sort of thing. Now, let's get a definition of binge-worthy out, out in the open here. Because a lot of times I think people think binge-worthy is like, oh, I watched a million episodes at once. Could be. Or, in my opinion, if you just pick a series and you watch that series to completion, you're probably, you're still binging it. Maybe you just didn't have the time that an unemployed person has uh, or someone who just runs a podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, talk with our panel here as always, ask what they binged, what they like, what they didn't like, and so forth. So I am your host, as always, comedian and film critic, Nate Wyckoff. And with us today, we have my good friend, Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? What the fuck's a TV? Ah, I think those are the things that look like computers but aren't. Uh, actually, my TV is a computer now, essentially. <laughs> and we also have Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm great. Good. Yeah, so this is uh, something that we've actually been requested to do before uh, from people, and I, I was dragging my feet because I was like, I don't know that I binge shows, and then I realized I absolutely binge shows, and I'm a complete liar, and I was just lying to myself. Uh, especially these days when a lot of us are sort of quote unquote cord cutting, which is weird to say because we're not cutting any cords, uh, but we don't necessarily pay for cable, right? In the way that we used to, we have Hulu and Netflix and Disney plus and Peacock and discovery plus and HBO max and so forth. And by the way, guys, right now, HBO max is kind of the winner for me here for films, at least because you get some really crazy good stuff, uh, and some stuff that is just, you're not finding anywhere else. Like, uh, Studio Ghibli's 3D entry, Earwig and the Witch, right? Let's let's uh, talk about that. Okay, back on track here. We're going to discuss the last show we binged and whether or not it was worth it. So I'm going to start with you, Mandy. What's the last show you got hooked on and was it worth it or not? Uh, so the last show I completed watching like all of the material that is available is Bridgerton which I thought was very worth it. I'm a huge fan of um, Downton Abbey. I've been for a long time. Uh, and I Bridgerton was amazing in so many different ways. Like I thought it was like a very fresh new take 
Um, and I am inspired to want to go and read the series of books. So I'll probably go and do that. All right. Well, that is interesting. And I, I have a feeling we'll be talking about Bridgerton more on this podcast as well. Um, and just in case anyone is is interested, uh, the books are by author Julia Quinn. They started with uh, The Duke and I, uh, which was the first novel, and now they have spread over many novels. I think they were published starting in about 2000, somewhere around there. And yes, they are historical right. fiction romance. Okay. And as a heads up to those who might have also liked it but aren't following the season two, it's going to focus on a different sibling of the Bridgerton family. So you're not going to go back to the characters we saw before. Like they're going to be more periphery. You're going to have like is it going to be the thing. douchey brother? But he was ruined I think in the first it, episode. It's like they're not in um age order. But I think it might be. I think the next one's the vice count who loved me. So I think it's the oldest one, and I think it's a take on um. Taming of the Shrew. Might be a hard sell for me, but okay, we're going to talk about that uh, later in this podcast as well. Let's go to Tad. Tad, what's the last show you binged and was it worth it? So uh, my definition of binge is typically if I can watch more than one episode, then I guess I could call it a binge. And this was a kind of a toss up because depending on the definition, the last thing that I actually like Netflix binged, the, 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 way that people typically think of it was the Mandalorian season one. Um, if you want to go from a more loose definition, it would have been WandaVision because I had, I had, you know, had recently finished that, but I'll talk about the Mandalorian from my perspective, especially as a, as a, I would like to say a recovering star Wars fan, especially because <laughs> the last uh, six, seven years of star Wars has been utterly trash. It was one of those things where it built up my expectation was good. That's the thing. We need to talk about Solo. Solo was one of those things I came back to it, sadly, two years later and found out, oh, it was actually pretty good. What the hell was everyone's problem? Folks, if you want to hear us do deep dives on the entire Star Wars series, because, of course, oh. we already covered the Ewok films uh, if, over Christmas. Go back and listen on those. Then write us uh, either at Colton Classic Podcast on Instagram or on Facebook or send us an email at coltonclassicpodcast at gmail.com because we are open to requests, and I'm really curious to hear your take on that. But you want to hear the you want to hear the musings and rantings of a true Star Wars historian? Here's here's your chance. I had to post high school, so yeah, you had Just to listen kidding. to me all the fucking time. Just kidding. All so right. yeah, so Mandalorian. Yes. So it was one of those things, and I've heard I've heard the argument, and there is some merit to it that the last five years have given us three. I don't want to say terrible movies, but definitely mediocre Star Wars films and that's coming from someone who grew up with uh watching the originals and then seeing the prequels and going wow this sucks the prequels were also fairly mediocre with some really bright spots in the middle of it um when i was growing up star wars had the expanded universe i'm sure there are a lot of listeners who are familiar with it and familiar with what happened when disney bought it and through all of that really good potential out the window for, for storytelling. Um, I grew up with the games. I grew up with the books. And yes, there was a lot of trash that was thrown out. But unfortunately, a lot of great ideas were also tossed out in the meantime. And Mandalorian was kind of a callback to the old books of like the Han Solo trilogy and the uh, Tales from Moss Eisley Cantina, the nice, dirty, filthy backstories of the Star Wars universe that show you that it's actually a really tragic 
and um, scary universe if you're if you're living in it and you're it's like like a lot of sci-fi universes if you're not on one of the nice planets or if you're not under a fairly benign government you're going to have a really bad time and the bounty hunters and the the Mandalorians they have a very dirty violent history and is well detailed and some of the books had no qualms in throwing a little sex and violence your way because they understood that a lot of people who grew up with uh, Star Wars were older and more mature and wanted more nuanced stories and the Mandalorian kind of gave us that and it did it in a way where uh, it did dispose of some tropes where there was really no romantic interest there was no uh, sexual tension between uh, Mando and Gina Carano's character, which I appreciated. Gina Carano's character was badass and Can took we just no talk shit. About how disappointed I am in with that situation because not only was she badass, but she was badass and beautiful and not tiny in any yes. way, shape, or form. She's a clearly uh, an athletic performer, and I was really, really crushed with the tweets that she put out i mean people can argue you know i of course uh went to bat for uh not that anybody cared but went to bat for james gunn when disney fired him over a stupid tweet that was clearly not uh based in reality based on the, on the expendables and so forth i mean he worked for trauma everyone knew this uh he changed a little bit but also it, he was a slock jock comedian essentially so let's let's be real here um, you have to you're you're gonna back. throw out some edgy shit in your life and but, you've got to move past it at some point, right? Exactly. And then Gina's is a different situation, right? I mean, she's essentially perpetuating uh, uh, anti-Semitic material. I mean, people will argue, no, it's not. Okay, you can understand why it would be considered problematic. Plus, yeah. um, I think a lot of people forget when you come from certain subsections of culture where thinking like that is very strong, very narrow uh, viewpoint, like things like wrestling and uh, not all, but some MMA and, and physical American-based uh, martial arts. I know MMA is not American-based, but our content, our media on it tends to be. You're going to be around a lot of people who spout this kind of thinking. And so when someone gets plucked from that and steps into a, a quote-unquote Hollywood role like The Mandalorian, their viewpoints are often conflicting with the more liberal-minded views of those who uh, have dealt with more social justice issues in their career and in their community. So it's not surprising, um, but it's really disheartening when the views of the person uh, who's coming up against this, this new vision where what they say and think really matters to people uh, and, and can hurt people, they don't, they, they're not able to change quickly enough. Um, and I hope she does see the problem with, with what she tweeted and things like that. Um, there's a lot of conversations, but it's really disheartening because she had a place in the Mandalorian season two, and I really would have loved to see it. And, you know, that's gone now. So, and you know, Disney, I mean, everyone on set went to bat for her, but you know, Disney was essentially like one more, one more problem and it's over. And she gave him another problem and she didn't have to do that. So that's on her at this point. And the idea of speaking your mind, you can say what you want, uh, but you can't say that other people are not going to hold you accountable for it. And you're not going to have to, I mean, you can say what you want. We don't have to like you for it. Uh, is, we don't have to give you is, a job. That is a universal truth, even in America. You can say what you want, but don't be surprised when the consequences hit you. And that's one of those things. 
social media is fucking terrible. And basically, if you uh, are a high profile person, why do you even have a Twitter? Why don't you just have, why don't, aren't you just hiring someone to just market for you? That's, that's, that's heavily the case, you know, and I mean, we, we know here, uh, getting people into to the, uh, you know, the digital studio to do interviews and, and guest spots and things like that, like, a lot of people don't run their social media accounts. And there's a reason for that. Number one, it takes a huge chunk of time. Number two, it's kind of best for for people who are already successful in many cases to uh, use it as a marketing tool and nothing else. Uh, and they may have private accounts uh, that are not public knowledge. But other than that, I mean, it, it's kind of a rarity. You know, you have a lot of comedians writing their social media accounts, but even some of those don't do that uh, or don't do it anymore. And it's kind of for this reason, you know, you're under scrutiny all the time. But again, that doesn't change the fact if you say something that's hurtful to an entire group of people, um, or things like anti-vax statements, we're coming across that. And that's another whole problematic system because, uh, you know, vaccine and injections has not been a kind place for uh, people of color in the United States and other countries as well, especially in Europe and so forth. Um, not shouting anybody else out other than my country. But uh, so when you get people of color who are pushing back on vaccines, it's understandable, yet terribly problematic. Because uh, I, I, you know, full disclosure, I work in addition to this for a nursing college and vaccines are important people they're really important uh and not only are they not important but you need to take them and you need to get them if you're healthy enough to get them i mean if you think you know in orange county where i used to live in california a lot of uh stereotypical oc karens and soccer moms you know to use the, the current terms like hey uh we're natural we're healthy i don't need it my kid doesn't need it do you know anyone with polio because you don't. And the reason is vaccines. And if you don't vaccinate, you will know people with polio and they will be your children. They will be your, you know, your loved ones. So get your vaccine. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Get COVID-19 vaccine, please. That's my soapbox. But yeah. Hashtag microchip club. Exactly. You know, get the microchip. <laughs> you got a phone. What are you afraid they're tracking? They're already watching you on the toilet. Like, what do you want? Um, Tad, Mandalorian. Here's something else that I liked about it. You talked about it showed sort of the gritty underside. Um, that we don't see a lot of in like at least the contemporary Star Wars films as much. Yes. Um, and I agree with you. And that was a big part of what was fun about the expanded universe. And actually, I'm finding it really fun to be going through thrift stores and stuff uh, now that I am vaccinated uh, safely, of course, to find a lot of these now castaway non-canon uh, Star Wars novels and, and audiobooks and things because they're fascinating and some of them are really great. Some of them are not, but you know, you get these, they, they were sort of given free range in a lot of uh, ways to, to write whatever they wanted. And actually one of my, a good friend of mine uh, wrote several Star Wars young adult books under a pseudonym and they're great. <laughs> they're great. Um, it's really, really cool stuff. And what, what I loved and is my parents loved the Mandalorian and a big part of it is it's a Western. Um, it's it's a Western series with um, the Star Wars veneer, which is very much has always been a part of Star Wars since the original trilogy, which sort of got knocked to the wayside uh, when, with that. Yeah, which are the sci-fi elements. And um, and they go so well together, especially when you have this um, this. It's not even I don't know that it's really appropriate to call it a father situation, right, because the plot of the Mandalorian for anyone who hasn't seen it, first off, 
this is your reason to get Disney Plus. Get Disney Plus and watch The Mandalorian. It is a brilliant series. Um, it is it is fantastically well done, and the set pieces and everything it's beautiful. You have amazing guest stars that one aren't recognizable, and two don't ruin but actually enhance, like Amy Sedaris uh, in this series. And uh, and you get lots of lore in there uh, that actually fits in the Star Wars universe. But this is a show where if you followed a lot of the newer stuff it gives you bits and pieces. Like if you yeah. followed the Clone Wars cartoon for the past, well, it came out in two, 2008, right? And ended uh, 2013, 2014, around there. I can't remember. There were like six seasons. Yeah, it was this a thing, long time. This and thing gives you breadcrumbs. It just mm -hmm. throws you like, by the way, did you watch the Clone Wars? Because, hey, we've got some bits and pieces for you. They're not necessary for you to understand the plot. That's the best part. And that's the best way to do things is you can please your fans while also drawing in new people without pissing everybody off at the same time, which is basically what the new trilogy has done. It has basically tried to please everybody and ended up pissing and off. Fall shorts in many ways. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and the first episode of the Mandalorian, not only the Clone Wars, it calls back to the original animated short that we discussed from the Star Wars holiday special, which is the first appearance <laughs> of Boba Fett. It does that. I mean, really, it's 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 all encompassing without being required, uh, you know, back viewing at all. Like you will not be lost in this series at all. You could have never seen Star Wars and you won't really be lost. Um, and it's this story of, of someone who, who belongs to a very select society with its own rules and regulations who sort of uh, ends up becoming guardian of uh, a little baby Yoda, as media has dubbed him, uh, also named Grogu. So. It's just a really cool story. And of course, if that sounds familiar to you cult fans or uh, Japanese cinema fans, it should because it's a take on um, uh, Baby Card in Hell, you know, the uh, Lone Wolf and Cub series uh, of, of the, the lone Ronin uh, taking care of a baby. And it's, it's just a, it's a beautiful series. It's absolutely stunning. And I, I love every second of it. And I was late to the game on it uh, because I was just a little wary of diving in and it's totally worth it. You think you were wary after I saw The Last Jedi? I didn't want anything to fucking do with Star Wars for years. Well, it's because you're dramatic. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, I'm on this so, show. And and uh, <laughs> it's true. And and let's let's also just give a shout out. They released a trailer recently, uh, uh, obviously before we aired this, but for Star Wars The Bad Batch, which is a Clone Wars spinoff. Uh, and it looks like they're aging it up a bit through the animated series uh, that's going to be airing on Disney Plus, which is sort of um, it looks almost like if anybody played the game, which is also being remastered and coming out for consoles and, and Steam and stuff, um, Republic Commando. It looks kind of like they're going with that vibe, uh, which is a neat, different part of Star Wars. And it's clearly supposed to tide us over until the next live action series and eventual Mandalorian sequels. So check that out. You also mentioned WandaVision. I have not seen WandaVision. It's on my backlog, as is uh, the the new episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So we'll give that a pass. I'm sure there are tons of people who are, are probably shouting at us to, to check that out. I'm going to go with my binge-worthy uh, recent watch. Uh, again, and this is a second watch for me. And this is going to be contentious with some people, but I, I want to pitch my argument here. And that is um, the... DC Universe series live action Titans. So Titans are, was the sort of the okay. Tad's making faces, but he hasn't watched it yet, so he can he can eat it. Um, <clears throat> so I Titans, see. 
So Titans uh, was sort of the launch program for DC Universe, which was DC's uh, online comic and film subscription program, which has since been changed. I would say you could say scaled back, but it's actually just been refocused into what's probably a better idea anyway, which is just a comic um, subscription service for digital comics. And then all of the programming that was intended uh, for DC Universe is moving to HBO Max, which is a better platform for most of us anyway, because more people will probably have HBO Max, especially if you already get HBO through your cable provider. Um, and Titans is two seasons out. The third season is, is uh, in production. Obviously, COVID has affected a lot of things. But the idea behind Titans is that uh, it's, of course, the Teen Titans. Uh, they're older, but not really much older. Um, and it is a departure from the CW vibe DC shows, which I think can be totally fun. I mean, Arrow and The Flash are a lot of fun, so on, but they're not very adult oriented. Um, they're fairly, your kids could watch them, uh, even if there's a little romance and action and things like that. Whereas Titans was explicitly intended with an R rating. So uh, they don't softball the R rating in the beginning either. Um, there is uh, nudity, not necessarily full frontal, but full backle, man and woman. There is uh, uh, footage early on, and it continues, of um, Dick Grayson in his late Robin years, uh, brutally beating people, um, smashing their face and running it over broken glass. I mean, pretty, pretty brutal stuff. And it is obviously not canon to the comics. It is also not canon to any films. It is its own universe. And the intent was, is that there would be a, a separate TV universe, much as the CW universe is separate from the uh, Snyderverse is separate from whatever the hell else did Warner Brothers is intending to do. What's cool about this show is we actually get to see a lot of things that frankly, as a DC fan, I never expected to see. Uh, on the big screen because Warner Brothers and uh, its subsidiary at this point, D DC, has problems sticking with a plan and running through it. Whereas Marvel is very clear, and now Disney, with putting forward a plan, sticking to it, and creating content that fits within the scale of that plan. They've done it. They they surprised us all when they actually ended up putting out Ant-Man and Doctor Strange, uh, even though they said they would a million years ago, and they're continuing to do that. DC's had a problem with that. They seem over, in my opinion as a fan, overreactive to fan criticism. Whereas if they had just stuck it through, do you think Thor and Thor the Dark World got fantastic reviews? Because they didn't. Um, and there's a reason they didn't. They're just okay films with some great characters and great actors carrying what little plot there is. Um, that's sometimes enough. And if you keep going, you'll get great stuff like the Suicide Squad film coming out from James Gunn and Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. These are great things that have come out of Warner Brothers' attempts, and they keep trying to cherry pick what they want. It's a problem. Titans doesn't really have that issue because it's so far beyond the other stuff that's done. They can do what they want. Um, we get really great moments of characters like Hawk and Dove that, of course, Rob Liefeld created um, back in the day. And we get uh, a little bit, we get Beast Boy, who is excellent cast. They don't worry as much about casting race versus we get a little bit more mix uh, in, the, in the white mayonnaise jar that is um, uh, 80s comicdom and, uh, or, or mainstream comicdom. And uh, it's just entertaining. Uh, it's really fun as a fan to see one of those shows where you get to see characters that you like 
put in scenarios that you didn't expect them to be put into. Um, you get multiple Robins. We get Jason Todd. Uh, we get um, some, they mix the timelines a little bit. So you get some characters like Ravage, uh, of course, Deathstroke's daughter earlier than you would have in the comics. So the ages are different. It's just, it's basically Smallville, but more entertaining to a fan like me who is less interested in the high school romance aspect and more interested in watching actual superhero combat. And there is superhero combat. And here's the thing that's going to sell a lot of people. Crypto the Superdog is in it. Season two, give it a watch. There are problems. I'm going to say that up front. If you're going in this hoping to see uh, Jeff John's run of Titans uh, or Marv Wolfman's run of Titans, any of those things that, that uh, we love, don't bother. Um, also, I would say, why do you want to see that? Read the comics. They're fantastic. Um, although I'm super disappointed in Jeff Jones' involvement in uh, the, the Joss Whedon situation in Justice League and the, and the poor filming uh, situation for the actors and everyone involved. That's terrible. It's inexcusable. But it stands that those were really good runs on those series. Watch it for sort of an Elseworlds, if you're a Marvel fan, a what if version of Titans contemporary future. Also, the actor that plays Batman is super great. And you get to see so many Easter eggs, like him doing the Batusi from the 60s Adam West show. Um, also, you get some really great casting. You've got um, Brandon Thwaite as Dick Grayson, who, in my opinion, is Dick Grayson. I think he literally is from another universe dropped in to be Dick Grayson. Um, people will, might remember him from the last Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales movie, um, or more likely as Prince Philip from the Maleficent series, uh, or if you're me, from Oculus with Karen Gillian, which is a fantastic movie from 2013, a great little horror tale by Mike Flanagan, who um, has, he, he wrote the Haunting of Hill House series on Netflix, which I'm sure many people expected us to be talking about on a binge-worthy uh, episode. So, Titans, watch it. There are problems, like I said, there are character consistencies. Uh, halfway through the first season, you start getting tired of seeing Hawk and Dove's storyline because it is tired, uh, but the casting is phenomenal. And by the way, your cast, especially Hawk and Dove, they're as physically fit as you would hope they would be if they were really people beating the shit out of other people on the street in the middle of the night. Um, it's, it's not, I mean, I love Gal Gadot, but she's a twig and I want my superheroes to be buff. I could be a twig, um, but I'm not going to be Henry Cavill size. It's not going to happen. Um, so give me a little fantasy, please. Okay. That's my soapbox. Everybody's tired of listening. They're all watching Zack Snyder's four hour, uh, recut of justice league as they should. And continue on. okay. You can seriously, you really should watch it and just you know I don't care about DC nearly as much as I cared about Marvel. I love you know I love some DC stories, but it's uh, just it never I don't think you do. I don't think you me. do. I think you're I think you're a pretender, a pretender to the fandom. That's okay. We're gonna move on to our next question on uh, this binge worthy and binge worthless series. What's the last show that you tried to get into and you just couldn't and why? Uh, Mandy, let's go to you. What's the last show you tried to get into that was probably recommended and you just couldn't do it? Um, the Last Kingdom. The Last Kingdom. That's uh, yeah. is that a, a Middle like Ages Vikings. themed one? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, and I think like I mean I heard a lot of people like oh it's like hot Vikings and they're 
running around doing battle and it's very cool and i was like yeah yeah i know i know i read the first book in the book series it was good i'll check it out like i liked it like it was okay and like i particularly like the parts where it followed the plot that i remembered from the book because it was like i kind of know where this is going but i think ultimately it just didn't feel like any of the characters were that likable and mm. like there wasn't like a lot that i was relating to in it um so after i kind of seen like all right this is what they're doing with costumes this is what they're doing with sets this is what they're doing with like progressing of the plot i'm like well I'll, like i'm like i'm kind of over it and then i just like started watching something else i didn't really intend to not watch more of it i just haven't gone back to it after maybe like six episodes i think and it does um, I, I think it's over now but it did run for i think 39 episodes so it, it yeah. ran five seasons five short yeah. seasons which is pretty common to have a short season for the high budget productions that's coming out like the witcher and things mm -hmm. uh fair i also I, I had a similar experience with the Vikings. Um, people really pushed it because I do like Viking uh, mythology and history. And my problem is I feel like Vikings are one of those, uh, like the like like Rome shows, like Rome, they really try to push the envelope with like, oh, it's like, it's not just sex. It's a threesome with a priest. And you're just like... Uh, these things are so far from any sort of reality. Uh, it's just not important. Um, and when, when they, there is so much real insanity, violence, sex, intrigue, uh, gallantry, all these things in uh, European history and in all history, of course, but I know most about European history. You don't have to do those cheat moments that really have nothing to do with anything. You don't have to. Uh, also, I'm tired of people being pretty in these shows. I'm tired of Vikings having great teeth. I'm tired of them having perfectly manicured crew cuts. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's exhausting and it all looks the same. Um, as a throw out, I cannot wait for Dave Eggers, uh, The Northman. Uh, I mean, Lighthouse was great, The Witch was great, and Alexander Skarsgård in that is gonna be phenomenal. I'm super excited. I think it's got some award winning material coming our way from that but yeah i feel you on that the viking trend never worked for me uh, which is a sad thing because i do like it i mean to be honest i found the most appealing viking uh setup in the how to train your dragon series oh so, i love that yeah, yeah. <laughs> watch uh, that many a time same here same here uh tad what was uh one you tried that just didn't work for you the witcher <gasps> just okay. kidding oh. i haven't started the witcher yet and that's largely because I am a l very huge fan of The Witcher as a whole. And uh, I am not ready to actually try and give the TV show a shot. I've seen a couple clips of Henry Cavill, and he actually did a really great job with so. Geralt. It's kind of it's one of those things. When you've played the video games for so long, you get used to uh, the voice actor's voice. It's kind of yeah, like, the, yeah. you know, you get so used to Mark Hamill as the Joker, it's hard to yeah. imagine something else. So someday I will actually watch The Witcher, but for now I'm gonna leave it and go to it when, basically when it's not cool anymore, then I'll watch it. That's what I tend to do. I, I tend to go back to things when the lens of, of popular culture has gone off it entirely. My actual answer is Sailor Moon. Um, and not because I necessarily was like, you know what, I'm going to watch like all the Sailor Moon. My wife actually was like, can you get me Sailor Moon? Cause I kind of want to watch it. 
And so I got the series and I sat down and we started watching it. And the problem was, is that about 14 or 15 episodes in, it starts getting, um, you know, it's serialized. It goes on for, I think there's like 300 goddamn episodes. Yeah, there's huge chunks of Monster of the Week episodes. It is. Which have no plot progression. There's no plot. There's no, yeah, the characters don't really develop in hell for the first half of the first season. It's there. You don't even have the full squad yet. Nope. Like, and actually, you don't even have the full squad. You keep adding members way later in the game. Right. Um, so um, basically what ended up happening is got to about halfway through the first season and we just dropped it, not because it wasn't interesting, but largely just because it started, everything started smearing, smearing together. And it's interesting because that's one of those shows where they did try and tackle some very deep and serious topics mm-hmm. for girls because um, it was clearly a girl's show, but they did throw in enough interesting stuff that guys could watch it and not feel weird about it. Because I did watch Sailor Moon when I was sure. young, and I didn't find it weird. It was, was kind of like before Toonami. It was on super early, right before right. Dragon Ball. Yeah, and they they kind of scrunched it in with Pokemon, so that like once you were done Sailor Moon, it's like oh Pokemon's on. Although fucking fuck Pokemon, I don't care. Um, there was an episode that listeners we'll... Greg Johnson, a regular member on this podcast will slash chad's tires uh don't worry don't send letters about it yeah if he wants to drive 1500 miles to slash my tires i'll actually pat him on the head um the uh there was an episode in the middle of the first season that actually really stuck with me and i found it fascinating and it was the episode where the crew was kind of dealing with eating disorders and dysmorphia and it was Mm -hmm. like they were really trying to deal with it and not in a ham-fisted way it was actually a uh they did, they did it in a really mature way. It was basically like, you don't really, like the mother, Serena's mother's literally like, will you stop doing that? Why are you doing this? This is stupid. <laughs> like, no one's encouraging you to do this. Um, boys don't care. Why are you doing it? It was a very interesting take. And so Sailor Moon, full disclosure, is my wife Corinne's uh, favorite show. And I, uh, we've been watching, we are not through it. She's of course seen it several times. Um, I had been seeing it for the first time and there's there's a current there's the running Sailor Moon Crystal which is the new version which is intending to be closer to the to the comic run because what you're seeing and what's so common in anime especially anime in like the 80s and 90s is that padding that happens when they're like oh this show is so popular but there's only 12 volumes um, or they're still writing a volume what are we going to do well they pad it out with these these stories in between where you don't tend to get that much and Sailor Moon like like the eating disorder story it's um i think it comes from the fact that it's it's written in the comics are written and illustrated by a woman i mean neko takuchi is a brilliant artist and writer and i mean she's there's a reason sailor moon is so successful um and uh and interesting sidebar she's married to the artist and writer of yu yu Hakusho, another incredible incredible artist and writer um and they, what I loved about Sailor Moon, um, and it is very easy to drop off in the middle because there are so many filler episodes. It's like, if you could go online, I'm sure there are guides of like what episodes to watch to skip the, the, it, the garbage filler stuff, which like you said, it's not that it's not entertaining. It's just that it's a Power Rangers episode animated, right? Like it's just, we know the monster's gonna come, they're gonna get defeated, then they're gonna figure out how to defeat it and defeat the monster. And then everything's back to normal by the end. Um, but the friendships between the girls is great. 
um, the tension between Usagi and Ray. Um, it's just it's they're they're they've got their own personalities and while at first their personalities are really obvious like oh she's the hothead oh she's the ditzy um branded one they get more nuanced as they come in and also same-sex relationships exist in this universe and that this is a case where uh american editing really um well that can't happen here so now that girl is a boy and it just led for some really bizarre uh translating things um if you go and online, not it's not like they did a great job. We all knew what was going sure, on. Exactly. And I mean, it's, it's silly to, to bother with that sort of thing. I mean, now, of course, we know that. And most of us knew it back then, especially as kids. But if you go, the other thing that's really fun is if you go on Hulu and watch the series, which I believe is currently all on Hulu as well, and then you watch the 90s dub, the, the writing is hilarious because oh my god they are the, so bitchy oh my god they are and and the new translation is i guess closer to the actual one and it's good and it has a lot more nuance and things but the original translation has some is, friggin hilarious jokes oh my god. they i mean they really worked some like I, I mean they go at it especially the thing that the, the actual translation is crazy is uh luna the the cat who is the guide for usagi to become the princess and so on and so forth is uh Man, she she's mean to Usagi. It's like if, it's like it's like if instead of dying, Yoda just started criticizing every Luke's everything from his eating habits to his weight to his study efforts to uh you know his bad haircut. Like it's just constant. And I was like, wow, so mean. Uh, it's amazing. Nate, did you ever see ghost stories? Think you so. didn't oh jesus christ i'm gonna send you it because <laughs> ghost so so for for everyone's reference ghost stories is an anime that came out i think like around the early 2000s and it was one of the rare instances where the company putting it out for translation basically said do what you want this did this I've wasn't heard. very they popular shin it. they shin yes. it funimation and yes it was absolute Bat shit. The voice actors had so much fun with it. They were as offensive as they possibly could be. It's hugely memed all over YouTube now. Nate, watch it. It's okay. legitimately as funny as it sounds. It is ab I can't even describe it. Like it's like it's like a South Park episode in an anime. And it wasn't, you know, like the translation does not fit what actually was going on in the story, but they follow the story as closely as they can while being as like it's just trash coming out of every character's mouth and it's amazing but that's it kind of reminded me like i was watching sailor moon and i'm like it's like they're trying to be trashy at the same time while trying to keep it as kid-friendly as possible and they really skirted the line and it was really clever how good the they, dialogue they also was. did hilarious things in the 90s that they didn't have to do but they did it with pokemon they did it with all the shows that they translated uh, dragon ball z but like they they would blatantly lie about what was on screen like they would because like american kids don't know what a sweet potato is so usagi's now eating a protein bar and she's like i'm eating a protein bar and you're like that's the most potato-esque protein <laughs> bar i've ever seen i didn't know they wrapped protein bars in like ground dirt like i don't know what that is so it, it, hilarious it's absolutely give it a watch um and I, always, I recommend too i enjoyed the movies uh they they have varying quality but i really enjoyed the sailor moon movies um, that came out and they've been re-released and remastered which are quite nice uh, so kudos but yes i can see that um likewise my 
my my binge drop off choice is another anime actually it's magic knight ray earth and it's similar to, to sailor moon it's not bad by any means but it's one of those cases where the first season is actually brilliant it's fast moving stuff happens the writing is good the characters are good there's lots of um female friendship there's also questionable sex you know like non there, there's hints at non um, binary sexuality which i think is very healthy uh, it's just, and it's really entertaining show. And it's one of those that kind of like Sailor Moon and even more so, it really is easily sellable to a traditional male audience and a traditional female audience in that there's action and there's romance and the designs are fun. When the characters get armor, it's not sexualized. This is partly like Sailor Moon because it's uh, based on a series by Clamp, which uh, a lot of manga fans will know who Clamp is it's an all-female um, artist group uh, and there's there's several members and there's been lots of changes but it's it's led by um, Nanese Okawa and uh, they've made tons of series they've made series that people wouldn't quote-unquote think of as uh, all women series like X um, uh, but they've also done things like uh, uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth uh, as well as as many big series they're pro they're one of the most prolific and well-received uh, manga creators of all time. But they did Magic Knight Ray Earth, which was a very short series, uh, manga series, and they did a great job translating the series into a TV show for the first season. And then the second season was a very small portion of the book, and so they bloated it out and changed a lot of stuff. And that's, again, where it runs into problems. In fact, it's one of those cases where they repeat things from episode to episode to such an extent, I couldn't finish it. Um, I had to skip ahead to essentially the last two episodes. It was that bloated. It should have been four episodes. Instead, it was like 27 or something crazy like that. Um, and that's one of those cases where marketing just kills, you know, the whole setup because I would actually rather them have made up a brand new like filler season um, to fill it out and then end it. Because even though those can be bad, like if you look at a, an anime like Bleach, um, they had these big filler moments where even the backgrounds are dull, like they couldn't even think up a new background. So it's just Adobe brick buildings. Um, it's like that. And uh, that to me was still more interesting than the repetition that was in Magic Knight Radio. But watch the first season and then uh, watch the, the, the first two of the second season and the last two of the second season and you'll be happy. Or better yet, just read the manga. Anyway, that's my choice for, uh, for failed binges. Um, but that brings us to our last section, which I think is going to be fun. This is uh, binge worthless. These are ones that people loved that we just didn't like, couldn't couldn't get through. Tad, I'm going to start with you. What could you just not get into at all? And you don't. It's not that you couldn't get into it. You don't like it. I'm going to grab the biggest, droopiest balls of the low hanging fruit that I possibly can and say that I was I refused to watch Game of Thrones ever i watched i think two episodes with my ex back when the show was brand new you know and uh i saw an episode where uh a, i'm pretty sure a baby's throat was slit and thrown out a window or something like that. i can't remember um it was fairly traumatic because i had just had my first child and basically i went nope i am out of this and the best part is is that haha assholes turns out that show was a fucking trash fire at the end and everybody basically went well that was a big giant waste of time so i win um i don't have much else to say about it because i know plenty about the 
show itself because people won't fucking stop talking would or i should say wouldn't stop fucking talking about it for years um and i don't care and i am vindicated in my not caring about this fucking show george rr R. martin is a fucking hack good you day know nothing, oh man the entire you know nothing all, all <laughs> six people in santa fe new mexico are coming for you mm. um where he lives here's the thing I have nothing against George R. R. Martin, um, but I, I I didn't choose Game of Thrones, but I almost did because I also did not enjoy Game of Thrones. I watched part of the first season and I was not into it, which is a bummer because I like gritty. I like period pieces. I like fantasy. Um, HBO sometimes, and by sometimes, I mean almost always does a thing with their shows that have a fantasy element, especially where they seem to think that they must hit all of the shock buttons right away. They must have explicit sex, kind of explicit sex. They must have violence. They must have sexual violence. They can't go a half season without at least one rape. Um, Maximum incest on top of it. Right. And, um, and then, and, and it's not enough that, yeah, it's not enough that you have incest. You have to have uh, incest that's consensual and then non-consensual incest, <laughs> which is rape, guys. So, um, yeah, I, I, have, I have problems with that as well. I also, so here's, here's as an example, uh, another HBO show, True Blood. Really liked the first couple of seasons of True Blood. They did the shock value early on, um, but it dropped off once plot got going things started to get rocky and then again it's just a downhill ride when they they lose they struggle their struggle with viewership orange is the new black for netflix was one of those incredible cast incredible writing the last couple seasons weren't just bad they were damaging to the entire social strides in my opinion that the series had made using engaging storytelling it was just just horrendous i mean There's it actually no I couldn't quit. watch it i i couldn't watch it um, and I also think, here's the thing, knowing when to quit, sure, but at the same time, there's no excuse, including being tired or, or out of ideas for bad writing. Um, a good writer could step in and pick up and make new a show that's dying. It can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it is just, it is, it is this old thing that TV shows, they always say, well, they have to do a two hour movie every time. So that's why it, it struggles in quality. And I'm like, well, guess what? As a consumer and a writer, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, it's hard, but you, it can be done. It can be done. People will point to the wire or they'll point to some show and say it can be done. Okay. Yeah, it can be done. Is it hard? Sure. Okay. But I've watched every season of golden girls. That is a huge pleasure binge. And the last episode is awesome. Uh, Leslie Nielsen is the big uh, uh, marriage in the end. Spoiler alert. Uh, it's great. It's absolutely great. So it's one of those things where it's an excuse. I get tired of it. Um, it doesn't mean that as a you can be a good writer and not, and then you wouldn't put out bad stuff. Sure, I'm, it happens, especially with TV where other hands are in it. I have stepped off of many script committees uh, in college where I just, I was like, this is going downhill. I can't do this. Like, I'm not going to write that. I don't want my name on it. It's really bad or it's offensive in the, in the worst way and not funny, whatever. Um, Game of Thrones was one of those for me too. I just, I couldn't get into it. I didn't like it. I didn't like the overt misogyny without because here's the thing i love exploitation movies 70s is my favorite film genre there are horrendous horrendous things in those movies um there's some 
they're called exploitation for a reason. It's, it's, they know what they were doing. Um, and it was intending to shock you and stuff. But things like Game of Thrones, it's masquerades as successful quality literature of TV. And it's not. Um, it really isn't. And, and I'm going to, I'll go to my guns for that. But that wasn't my choice. So interesting the, on you. See, Nate, the difference between that and exploitation is that a lot of exploitation films can still craft, like, say, you're, you, you have a female character who's being abused that they still end up, a lot of the times those films were able to craft the character into something that could still stand on their own. You know, look sure. at the Warriors. Like she revenge, was- I mean, revenge flicks are often yeah. exploitation movies and vice versa. And sure, even if it's horrendous and no, you didn't need to see this character abused or, or having, you know, uh, or being raped or whatever, or this nudity. Yeah, of course it's there for titillation and it should disturb. It's kind of part of the point but it's also super cathartic to see them blow away the bad guys in the most gruesome of fashion at the end. Yes, um, it's the same problem I had with Jessica Jones the first season where it's like there's so much tragedy and there's no actual point sometimes to it just to just to emphasize just how damaged everybody is. It's like that's not that's 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 not uh you didn't like the first good. two episodes of a of a of a um, white woman bothering a black man trying to start up a business that was the first two episodes of jessica jones i have um, a lot of problems with the entire first season there's lots of, we could we could do lots of, of stories on this but yeah i i see that um i feel you and uh interesting but it's i mean i know mandy and tons of people really enjoy game of thrones and it eh, is. i like i've read all the books <laughs> right. put it there i enjoyed the books read all the books i watched about a season and a half and very much like 10th kingdom i was just sort of like i don't really feel like putting the effort into watching any more of this like i'm good i love the memes probably more than sure. watching oh the show there, itself there's an incredible cast we've gotten some amazing talent pulled to the forefront from a series like game of thrones i mean obviously game of thrones you know brought peter dinklage to the forefront um uh, jason momoa had great roles in that i mean uh, just you can't you can't even name them all um there's there's uh, some fantastic female actors that have come through of course as well i mean i was happy to see sarah connor back in action again as well um but yeah I, I, that's my thing but all right let's let's move on to the binge worthless mandy what's your pick oh what did i have in my mind for this now we were all like distracted by game of thrones and jason momoa oh my goodness oh <laughs> I'm always distracted by Jason Momoa. Right, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. He was in that Tiger King. <laughs> oh yeah, Tiger uh, King. Um, uh, this isn't a good time to tell you, I guess, then that we will absolutely be doing episode reviews of the Nicolas Cage-led Tiger King miniseries. What the? Fuck? Oh, he's, he's playing He's playing Joe Exotic. What the fuck? I think I, I can handle that. So, I am so excited. Um, I think you know, Nick Cage, I love him. I didn't watch a single anything of Tiger King. Not a clip, not an episode, not a preview, nothing. I've seen some memes, which I really don't get because I didn't watch any of the content. Um, I just could not be less interested in, in taking that content from that see, Mandy, show. And I, Mandy and I are cut from the same cloth. We see the internet going batshit over something. And we're like, I'm out. Bye. What's, I just what's... like, I hate reality television. Yeah. I hate like, I don't want to say like 
slumming it like like oh look at these people who are really soft like like having some issues so like and like let's i don't know like i don't know if it's necessarily exploitation but like let's have a good laugh at how real life exploitation it's pretty gross like how how not normal they are and all have a big joke on that like it just makes me very uncomfortable and then again i don't know if that was the tone of the show that's kind of what i got from so what's interesting the is information that I, I had about it I and heard, i was just like well that plus really just hating reality television in general not interested totally not, understandable not so tiger it. king is a really interesting beast it would, we could really dive deep here tiger king is um so my issue with not watching tiger king and and i've seen some of it and I, let me tell you something i have read more about it than is even in the documentary at this point uh is um is I have a real hard time with with stories of animal neglect and animal abuse. And that is at the heart. The, mm-hmm. the worst thing about Tiger King is that it's, it's one of those cases of a, a, a quote unquote zoo, a privatized zoo, uh, because people rag on zoos. It's, it's misplaced. There are so many zoos that are absolutely uh, doing incredible things with conservation efforts. Um, they are doing, they are bringing species back from extinction in a healthy way out here in Palm Spring, Palm Desert. Uh, we're members and we go all the time to the Living Desert uh, Zoo. They do amazing things for animals. They have a, a bustling uh, like 21 painted do- African dog um, pack right now, trying to bring them back from the brink kind of thing. Really incredible work. And then you have individuals who cannot possibly take care of these animals, using them and exploiting them, and then doing terrible things to them when they when it serves them, and that's that was my problem with Tiger King. The exploitation of people who have issues, I am almost exclusively 100% behind. Um, now, and not because I want to exploit people. Exploitation is the wrong word, but they are kind of the spice of life. Like on here, we all have differing opinions, and we're all here because we're pretty weird. I don't really have friends that aren't weird um no offense everyone here but (laughs) but watching um an openly gay conservative man who's (laughs) married to two men decades apart who has an eyebrow ring that is a mill like a a a a a one one hundredth of a millimeter from just falling out into the open air um who has a crazy mullet who um, lied about having a singing career to the point where he paid other people to sing and play instruments and then did his own music videos for them and released albums to had a web show who ran for president um, who, who uh, met people like Britney Spears because they, they like were supposedly animal experts. And then you throw into the fact that he tried to have a competitor murdered with a professional quote unquote professional hitman. Um, and, and that person may also have killed her own husband. Uh, it's really up in the air. And I, that's the kind of story that I live for because it's really, <laughs> I mean, first off, you can't write it. Like the Coen brothers are just sitting at home watching the feeling like, well, we're ruined. Um, write that I, down, can't, write that down. I, I can't do any better than this. Um, and, and that's the sort of the, I think the reason, like it speaks to all the elements of voyeurism that have caused true crime podcasts to explode. Um, because true crime books were very popular in the 70s and 80s, and then they had a, a they have rises now and again, and they've never gone away. 
Um, but the podcast has allowed people to uh, feed that that uh, that voyeuristic desire um, for tragedy and disturbing nature uh, of, of humanity in an easy form that they can do other things while they're doing. They can listen to it while they're at work. They can do this. And the thing is, is there is really interesting content on that. I mean, Tiger King is the people they talk to. Oh my God. Like how many of the people for like $300 a month or something like that worked on his thing and lost limbs. And then the limbs are just left to the animals to eat them. I mean, that's madness. That is true madness. Um, and, and it's incredible. Uh, so I get it. Um, but by the same token, then you have like 23 million true crime podcasts, uh, where the first thing is like, uh, uh, so-and-so is the husband that came home to find the wife brutally murdered. The question was, who did it? And then at the last episode was, uh, um, as all the evidence pointed, he murdered them. You're like, yeah, I know that. Like, that's obvious. It's the same thing with IDTV. Like every show, I'm like, you must have one interesting case a year on this channel. And every other case is, yeah, of course the husband did it. Or they'll be like the first episode, a bloody footprint leading to their car. Like, yeah, they did it. And then at the end, they're like, they did it. Yeah, like, Yes, I know. This isn't a story. This is not an arc. This is an event. You just told me what happened and then told me random things for the next like 10 episodes. It's stupid. I don't like it. Um, it's like the, it's the worst. It, it's like ruining a mystery novel for someone. Every one of those TV shows is like, uh, you can read this really interesting mystery novel, Twists and Turns, or you can watch reality when everyone knows they did it. Um, it's a problem. But Tiger King, yeah, it's a wild one. I, I had a hard time because of the animal cruelty issues. But uh, those people, man, give them, give, you know what? Just put a camera, don't give them any money, but just put a camera in Joe Exotic's cage and uh or, i mean prison cell i guess and uh and let have it i mean he'll entertain uh, it's wild um I, but yeah i wonder if other if other people from other countries looked at that show and went is that what america's life is duh, is that what america is like and i would emphatically say yes to what i yes. to which yeah. i reply it's what florida's like um <laughs> love you florida <laughs> no seriously we have listeners in florida i'm very grateful for you guys shout out uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where here's a, here's, here's a show. If you don't want to watch Tiger King, I totally get it. Absolutely. Go on YouTube and watch the Netflix YouTube series, uh, Queens who like to watch with, uh, Katya and Trixie Mattel, the drag Queens, they do Tiger King, uh, in like, in like 10 or 12 minutes there. And it is, it is magic. You get some of the now best. Now you have clips. my interest. It is <laughs> I absolutely brilliant. I will recommend Trixie and Katya and because everything I they love do. Them. And uh, and go check the the we like I to watch them, series. Love them, love them. Um, uh, <laughs> Tiger King especially. It's it's magic. Okay, I think we've done everything except for my binge worthless. Um, and this is where blows will come, I guess, because my choice is Bridgerton. Um, I did see the majority of Bridgerton. Uh, my wife was watching it. She stuck with it throughout, and, and I couldn't. There are some things that I do like about Bridgerton. It's not a total empty thing. One thing, and Mandy, you, you kind of got towards this, is the multi-ethnic casting works. Um, the queen is a black woman. There are people of color all over the place. It is worked in a way that they, they sort of did it in a way that even I hadn't really anticipated, where it's not that they ignore it completely. They actually reference uh racial differences in the show while not having it be like uh an awkward plot element 
Um, it's sort of just an assumption that, hey, in this world, this is the case. The queen's black. Like, I don't know what you want to say. Uh, and that was actually neat because it works because it isn't the main plot, but it's nice flavoring throughout. And I will say this. Um, the biggest reparations that have been done in this country for slavery are the hairstyles they give the white people in Bridgerton because the, the people of color in Bridgerton have the most amazing styling, their outfits. I mean, the Duke's always, of course, perfect. And everyone else, they look stunning. They have amazing hair, styling, whatever. And all the white people um, look like uh, bad this is going to be offensive to people. I'm so sorry, but I don't really get it. They're sort of like um, the the B cast from The Queen's Gambit, uh, and all of the men uh, are given hideous chops and like mop top curly hair. That's it. That's the only hairstyle that existed in this universe for white people was horrible chops that practically came to the corner of their mouth and mop top hair. That's it. That's all they get. Uh, it's like everyone is in a post-Beatles British Invasion band. Um, I, it was rough. It was rough on me. But the the sets and the outfits are truly beautiful for much of the series. My problem is that I don't understand the actual plot of the first season of Bridgerton because the, the plot centers around um, the, the lead actress's character and the Duke, um, who she doesn't want to marry this old guy that her older brother wants her to marry, who's a, the guy's a creep. And so she enters into a fake engagement with this Duke who also wants to get his, his essentially his stepmom off his back. Um, and so they don't, they, they're like actually sort of confrontational to each other, but they do this to get other people to leave them alone. And of course they end up falling passionately in love and having like lots of sex scenes. Um, I wouldn't even say lots of sex scenes, but they're, they're, Okay. Oh, there they're, were a lot. They're, they're saucy they, sex they were, there were a lot. Yeah. The, the problem, though, is that the stakes don't make sense to me. Because, and, and I might get flack for this, but here's, listen to me out here. Because the idea is that um, the Duke has such a bad father that he promises his father he will never have kids because as a punishment, he's going to kill off the family line. And, uh, and so, but she wants, his, his eventual love interest wants children. So he's like, look, I can't marry you. They end up almost dueling him and her brother. And they're like, fine, we'll get married. I don't care that you can't have kids. Well, of course, then she finds out he can't have kids. He just doesn't want to have kids. She doesn't address this with him, really. I mean, she kind of does. And he pushes her back, whatever. And then we get this scene. And I guess in the book, alcohol is involved. But this scene where um, a, mm, I'm going to be generous and say an 85-pound woman uh, is riding the top of this statuesque man during a sex scene and forces him to orgasm inside of her, which of course will make her pregnant this one time. Uh, now the idea, and people got upset online and they got upset about the books too. They're like, they're calling it rape and all these things. I'm like, okay, we can have that discussion, but can we first talk about the discussion that if he didn't want that to happen, he could have literally, he, he didn't Foster have to push off. her off. Yeah, he didn't have to push her off. He could have literally just lifted her off. Like this lift, Yeet. like that is, that is uh, the idea. It's that, that whole thing that like, <laughs> it's the idea that this 85 pound woman could force this man to do anything physically is ridiculous. Um, then we get the idea of uh, that they can't, there's the, the idea when they're sort of dating that they can't be caught together alone. 
-hmm. it's sort of from my understanding historically and maybe people can correct on this it's a misnomer of victorian society because everyone is fucking and having sex and there are affairs everywhere before it's like is they're repressed but that's only feeds the underside of it so the idea that uh just by being next to each other at night in front of a party and not inside at the party would have caused duels and guns and shit that's kind of madness um it's like the idea that uh that in medieval times you know um the 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 king and the queen like uh they they madly were in love and like yet spent one month of six years in the same castle i mean it's just kind of ridiculous like there are things that we need to look at more realistically now it, for the sake of just a romance novel those things i guess play out but i didn't like how those were dealt with such serious nature when they could have fixed the problems that may have been pre-existent with the source material because there are other really cool things happening like the mystery character who's writing this tell-all pamphlet that goes to all of the families and spills all the tea like that's cool so i don't know i really enjoyed uh like that they revealed that character earlier than they do in the book series so yeah. like you get resolution at the end and i also very much enjoyed like the foreshadowing of her name as her actual character yeah um i thought that was cute you're talking about the so, spill all i won't spill that but i don't want to spill that i don't want to yeah. ruin that for people who so, haven't seen that but i enjoyed that little bit um at the end and I, so. I think, and I think it's one of those things where it's also it's not written for me. I'm not a fan right. of romance dramas. I'm not. Uh, it's not my thing. I will say that for a romance drama, uh, it visually is quite appealing. Mm -hmm. I also have a problem though with, and this is just a trope of uh, romance novels, both starring male leads and female leads, is the idea that your lead character is so like desired by everyone is it's weird it's a it's, like an anime. yeah it kind of is it's a bella from twilight syndrome like uh. everyone loves her she's irresistible and um and and phoebe dynavore i think is how you say her name um she's a british actress she plays the lead um i i i didn't i i just i don't know I, I didn't like I, I think that we're moving into this phase when everybody kind of wants to we're getting the new normal visual attractiveness template um, from Netflix. Netflix is driving it with with Anna Taylor from uh, The Queen's Gambit and The Witch. We're getting that. It's big eyes, narrow face, like not unattractive. Unless I'm not reading her looks at all. But I feel like there's a concerted effort to put forward this one standard of staple beauty in all of the big shows and things moving forward. And Netflix seems to be at the forefront of this. And I am looking forward to that changing. I'm looking forward to going on to a site like Netflix and the first three shows don't feature what I think at first is the same person. I would like that to change. Sounds boring. I mean, sure. You know, I mean, but again, no one was complaining well, when we check had... out Bridgerton season two, where I think the lead is um, of South Asian descent. There you go. Very nice. And I just got to say, too, we didn't watch the first episode of Bridgerton 
We went to the mm-hmm. second and then we went back and watched the first, which by the way, guys, that's often a great way to get into a show because the first episode is a lot of exposition and a lot of times mm-hmm. just like when you're writing a story, you don't need it. But I will mm-hmm. say in this case, her older brother is a monster. Oh, yeah. He's, he's just a jerk if you skip the first episode. But if you actually watch the first episode, he's just a bad person. You just mm-hmm. don't like him at all. And I think they maybe overshot the mark a little bit and made him too dislikable, like too mm-hmm. unlikable, because it, it makes all of his future reparations from the season fruitless. Like, mm-hmm. I can't possibly see liking him at all. I'm um, interested to see what they'll do next season, because I think he's the main character yeah so that'll be interesting to see what they do great cast their mother is is also Mm -hmm. wonderful um i just love like the color schemes that they did for the families sure and um i love the like contemporary music like worked Mm -hmm. in it's very it's very uh i know a lot of viewers romeo and juliet yeah i know a lot of people were split on that like i'm a big fan of that uh if you don't want that watch as well I yeah. mean, uh, which is, which is, so. yes, it's a little later era concept, but, um, yeah. I, I think the visual and styling, I think it's comparable mm-hmm. to like Mad Men. People were losing their mind over the mid-century modern in Mad Men. Mm-hmm. I actually thought it was a little understated for my taste, but mm-hmm. this is not understated. No, this I really liked how big they went with it. Yeah. Like, I really enjoyed that. And even like the stuff that you were, I like, like you were kind of pointing out as things that didn't work for you. I liked how overblown the um like the cultural tropes were mm. in this uh like the protecting her virtue and like the dueling but i also really like the um bohemian like artist yeah. like um the proto flappers yeah yeah right like like whatever they had going on there uh their denizen the misogyny is pointed out in this as well like they don't like it's very much um it's it's unlike game of thrones where the misogyny is like well the excuse was often um well things were that bad for women in the middle ages yeah things are still really terrible for women all over the world like uh, that doesn't mean that in our story we have to have that it doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. that's the requirement like you're using it for titillation and that can be problematic Mm -hmm. depending on what you're doing um bridgerton yeah like the older brother is super misogynistic and doing things that he thinks should be done based on this archaic concepts. But he's also told over and over again that he's being a jackass Um, and Mm -hmm. he loses, you know, people he cares about. So, you know, give it a take, but remember trigger warnings. Some people are losing their shit over the quote unquote rape scene. And again, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say you, this is a straight man's perspective. Um, I'm not saying that a man can't be raped by a woman. I'm not saying that. But in this particular scene, I find that very, very, I don't think that's what they were going for. I think that that's really questionable. Um, I mean, her head is the size of his hand. I don't, I don't see it. I just don't see it. But I mean, it felt like the sex was semi-weaponized, but not necessarily like rapey because they were like, not saying that you can't rape your spouse, but like they were happily Donald Trump did it newlyweds yeah um happy newlyweds who are having sex all over the place and he just did not um complete the act the way he had on all the other occasions I don't know if she you could say she seduced him or distracted him she definitely I agree with you it was I I could not even suspend my disbelief that she was forcing him to you know spoiler for people I guess in the books she gets him drunk 
mm. and then that is very much that's case, very different it's very different and i'm sure that yeah. that was why they intentionally did not do that in, yeah in the tv series um and and i liked your your i like the language you use weaponized because we are talking mm -hmm. about it's yes it's a fantasized version of it but it is a time period when women only have a limited amount of power and they really do uh, are forced and we've seen this throughout history to use their sex as a bargaining chip a weapon a tool for leverage it's all they have um mm -hmm. and so it's you know I, I think that needs to be taken into account as well and um guys remember stuff that you think offends you in a tv show or a movie books that are in the literature shelf right now have far worse horrendous things that could never be put on the tv screen in this day and age and they're classics so I'm not saying that you should support something that uh, promotes something you don't like, but just because you see something you don't like doesn't mean that it's being promoted. Look at the source, look at the content, look at the concept, okay? Lolita was made. <laughs> Lolita was not only made, it's considered a classic, uh, the book and the Stanley Kubrick film version. And that's a terrifying story. So that's-, I, that's I, was, I was personally always bothered by the end of Saturday Night Fever. But, you yeah, know, it's terrifying. I, and actually, I, I met, uh, of course, the famed director of Saturday Night Fever, and I told him I loved his film, and he was surprised that I'd seen it, which is crazy to me because it's I such love a, that film. It's, it's an incredible. We I know. Love that. Um, I, I think I guess because of my age, uh, but at the time I was in my twenties. But um, it is an incredible movie, and the end is upsetting. Um, and it's it's one of those things, and people think I don't know how we got on this. You brought up, but I, I love Saturday Night Fever. I think Tad, we probably watched it together. Yes, um, we have. It was, it's one of those movies where everyone's like, oh, it's goofy because disco, you know what I'm like? They think it's a it disco is, movie. It's not. Like, it is a dark yeah, coming of dark. age story in a really sad, depressing, frustrated, angry, misogynistic, encapsulated um, pressure cooker world. And, and it was wild. I mean, the random drugs, the random sex, the questionable consent, the near suicide, the pregnancy. I mean, it's like, it's it's Greece if written by a depressed narcissist. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then highly the same, recommend. Highly, very much. It's, it's really an incredible classic film, and it's not going to make you feel happy. Um, and then watch the sequel that John Travolta, uh, that uh, St excuse me, that Sylvester Stallone wrote, Staying Alive, which is a radically different story, uh, <laughs> but also very entertaining. And you get to see John Travolta dance a lot with eyeliner. So, all right. Well, that is it for this binge-worthy and binge-worthless episode of Colton Classic Podcast. I think we got into the gray area a lot here, but I am happy to have shared this with you guys, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please write us at coltonclassicpodcast at gmail.com or at coltonclassicpodcast on Instagram and Facebook. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. If you send us your screen name and uh, your address, we will watch for your review. Of course, tell us where you leave it, and I will send you cool stuff in the mail as a thank you. Uh, this is, of course, an honest review, but if you don't like us, don't review us. Why are you even listening? Hopefully you do like us, and please follow us at Colton Classic Podcast, and have a great day. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world, and that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.